welcome to Scenario D. The podcast that takes you behind the magic by giving you the facts and a whole lot of views. I'm Curbs. And I'm Lish. And this week, we're exploring the bayou and rescuing kidnapped kids with Bernard and Bianca, otherwise known as the Rescuers. So fasten your seatbelt. And make sure the runway is clear. As we take to the skies with Orville, Bianca, Bernard, and the rest of the Rescue Aid Society gang. Okay, Lish, I would like to paint a picture for you. A picture with words, as it were. Imagine that you just finished a long day at work. It was boring. Mm-hmm. It was tiring. Mm-hmm. You're just ready to do something that might bring you a boost of serotonin. You know, it's been a rough week. You've had a lot going on. And you just want to sit back and watch a Disney movie. Now imagine mm-hmm. that your roommate and her partner are like, hey, why don't we watch that movie outside on the patio? Ooh, Why don't we set up our, our, our outdoor like screen and projector and project it in the beautiful, crisp fall night air? You all wrap yourselves up in blankets. You're sitting outside under the stars and you are watching Disney's 1977 classic, The Rescuers. Now, I know, based on the fact that you started watching this movie after I had my idyllic yes, time outside. yes. Uh, that you texted me within the first five minutes and said, this is too sad, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. obviously this would not be a first choice film for you, but this movie actually happens to be one of the ones that Amy and I both remember very fondly from when we were kids. They had Mm -hmm. the VHS, we watched it often together. Amy used to watch it all the time because they actually owned it. And it, to us, held up. Like this, this boat still, you know... Is it holds water, keeps out the water? Whatever boats do that you want them to do as the expression goes. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. I, so I actually quite like this movie. I have fond memories of it as well. However, I do not like the sad part of it, especially the beginning, like with the whole like rescue me and like the, just like the sad orphan. And I'm like laying it on a little thick here. Like, come on. Like. I it's like I would have been way I would have been way happier if this was just like a kid that was kidnapped from their family and then they just need to be rescued (laughs) to go back to their family like that would have been so much stronger (laughs) for me it feels a little manipulative with the sad orphan that just wants to be adopted yeah see I never liked Penny like when I was a kid I didn't feel bad for her at all I was like no wonder what? Penny wasn't adopted I think is a thought I had as a child because I no, was horrible. I think she really had a lot of agency and like the well, fact that she was listen. able to sass the actually terrifying villains in this movie so so I want to pr- clarify when okay. I say she didn't do anything I felt that as a child I mm. watching it as a child I was like this Penny kid sucks like yeah leave her <laughs> I don't know like at least somebody wanted her. I don't know. Like, my, my child brain was just thinking, right. Watching you know, it yesterday, I was like, it is Penny's what it is. got some balls. Like, I would she be, does. like, crying. I would be Penny, a mess. She Penny's does. a queen. Honestly, yeah. as an adult watching it now, I give the snaps up for Penny. Mm-hmm. Because Penny snaps really was Penny. the star of the show. I also forgot 
how useless Bianca is. Miss Bianca does not help at all. Like I actually, there were so many times I turned to Amy and I was like, oh, we're falling down again. Or, oh, we're scared again. Or, oh, Bernard needs to come and save the day again. Like the only thing I will give Miss Bianca points for, Lish, Mm-hmm. Is that she brought Bernard out of his shell? That she kind I was of gonna emboldened say, him to like, do what he Bianca to do. is the one that's really like making this happen. She's got that like go getter attitude. She's optimistic. She's like, we can do this. Bernard is freaking out about everything. I feel like he needs her. I feel like none of this would have happened without her. I mean, from an emotional right? standpoint. Yeah, I mean, from yeah, you're technically right. I think I'm frustrated because I'm a Bernard. Okay? Yeah. So when I look at Bianca. Yeah, she might be beautiful, whatever. She's a mouse wearing purple. I did wear purple <laughs> for Bianca, though. I was I, like, how can I dress to theme? And my pants are also I purple. Oh, it's amazing. That's purple amazing. scrunchie. Um, There's a lot going I on. I actually looked for purple because I was like, I also, I want like a light violet to be, you know, Bianca vibes, but I didn't have any. So. It just, yeah. she just couldn't pull through when it actually mattered from, from, like putting things into action. I think Bianca mm-hmm. had the best intentions. She was very inspiring and motivating and she was supportive and all that mm-hmm. type of thing. I just, it's like, you are in the rescue aid society. You have mm-hmm. put your hand up to go on a physical rescue mission and y'all are useless. Like if Bernard no. was not there, she would have been dead 8,000 times. Like Penny would still be trapped in Devil's Bayou. Actually, Penny would have drowned because guess what? Bernard found <laughs> the Devil's Bayou. I don't know. I kind of disagree. I feel like she wasn't, that useless and also i hated in the beginning when they were like oh you're a woman you can't go on this rescue mission." the chair the chair mouse did say actually that's not the case you just shouldn't go alone Mm -hmm. which still sexist because he meant it because you're a woman yeah you shouldn't go alone at the same time at least he caught himself i gotta give chair mouse uh Mm -hmm. props for that also i mean it was the 70s Yes. It was the 70s. It was. And you know what? She's... Okay. Can we also talk about her not wearing clothes? I just want to call out that she is all over the place with whether she's fully dressed or not. At one Mm. point, she describes her overcoat as a dress, but then just fully takes it right off. I'm like, what is happening? I mean... Bernard... Fully covered. Turtleneck. Turtleneck. This is like a Donald Duck situation. Yeah, no pants, though. Yeah. But at least we're pretending there's some clothes on. She literally has like a necklace bow thing. But then sometimes is saying I have a dress on. I just couldn't keep up with her. I didn't know what mm. fantasy world she was living in. But I just think Bianca's a tad delusional. Okay. Just tad. I love, I but love again, Bianca. My- what should do? That, spoiler. Scenario D showdown. I'm team Bernard. <laughs> You're team Bianca. He was driving me nuts. He's just freaking out about everything. Like, oh my God. 13 and just like everything was something that's gonna go wrong and just like Bernard but I can you argue, need to cool it no I can argue that for the same reasons you're saying this wouldn't have happened without Bianca this would not have happened without Bernard because mm-hmm. he actually was able to physically complete a task Bianca truly useless like yeah. tripping all over the place dropping everything what are we doing you need someone like Bernard who yes he might have a lot of irrational concerns but at least He's able to, mm-hmm. in a pinch, yeah. find find the courage from Miss Bianca. He's able to like use yep, that encouragement. I agree. To I agree. They, advantages. I think they, they need each other. They need each other. They balance each other out, just yes. like you and me. It's oh my goodness, what a beautiful 
kind of closing know. the loop there. That's yeah. gorgeous. I mean, you did say we should be them at Mickey's Not So Scary. That which would, would be, be cute, super right? adorable. That would be cute. But are you, please tell me you're wearing clothes. You're not going to just like wear a jacket and a necklace. <laughs> Obviously. I, I would probably wear, wear like some like white pants or something as oh, like, yeah. you know. Cute. My... I would definitely have the overalls on. Amy and I were saying that, like, I would wear the turtleneck with the overalls for sure. (laughs) Like, borderline Wreck-It Ralph kind of vibe. It would be adorable. But hopefully cuter. It would be Yeah, I'd need to get the the hat. hat, The hat would be clutch. We need the hats, both of us. Seal the deal. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's the only way people would know who we are. Unless, again, you're just wearing a coat. (laughs) Nothing else. That'll be the giveaway. I just got my coat on. One of my favorite uh, Steve Thompson ornaments ever, actually, was a Bernard and Bianca one from a couple years ago. It was the an anniversary of the film. Mm-hmm. It must have been, oh, maybe it was just last year, because that would have been... I think it was two 35? years ago. I think it was two years ago, because my I actually got it for my uncle, because he is an artist, and he did this really amazing, like, in-your-own-style Oh, Bianca oh, Bernard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like really, yeah, yeah. really nice. So then I got him that that ornament that year for Christmas. That's like a thank you because he gave that's that so cute. to me. Yeah, adorable. Yeah, oh, this movie is oddly special to people. So I mean, I think yeah. we need to tell the people why because there is there is a lot of really interesting stuff that went into making this movie, and mm-hmm. the fact that we can even have this sort of animated pun intended conversation about it without even covering any of the truth. Is this the first time where we both are, we both liked the movie this season? I think so. Yeah. yeah this is for me, this is where all about the animals turns around. This yeah. is now for me, it's nowhere but up because we got a lot of good stuff coming. I'm in this starting kind of the downhill slope. So this is kind of where we meet in the middle where we're both happy. It's the only point. Hurrah. Hurrah. Team. (laughs) So, I mean, let's, let's dive into it. This is not my favorite era of Disney, like the 1970s, 1980s. I mean, it's a lot of people not favorite era of Disney. It's not great. It came out in 1977. Uh, Disney was going through a lot of various shakeups on the like executive level. Obviously Walt is dead at this point. Roy was left in charge of the studio. Roy retired in 1971. And his main focus while he was still there was just finishing Disney World, getting that open. And Mm -hmm. this kind of left, as we've discussed in previous weeks, Wooly Reitherman and the remaining nine old men to really take charge of the Disney Animation Studio. There was not really any strong leadership that was put in place after Walt had left. It was kind of like, okay, well, you guys are here and keep doing your thing. We've got this like giant Disney World to build, so we're going to go do that. After Roy, Don Tatum became the CEO. He worked closely Mm -hmm. with Roy on Disney World. And as CEO, that was his main focus was finishing Disney World, um, getting Epcot up and running, Tokyo Disney, all those things. So definitely more on the parks focus for sure. Card Walker, who followed him, was kind of in the same boat in the 70s and 80s. So Mm -hmm. still, like I was saying, we're kind of left without that strong leadership in the Disney animation space. And the nine old men are getting old. Old, as it were. Yes. So yeah, Father still, time. still that gap. We didn't have that role that we have now with Jennifer Lee and um, Pete Doctor that they fill in Disney Animation and Pixar respectively. That's just like kind of the creative studio head. There isn't really that. Right. That role hasn't really been established yet. We haven't figured out that we need In that. your opinion, 
Would that have strongly helped this kind of Xerox and Silver Age of Disney animation? Or do you feel that in light of Walt's kind of unexpected to everyone but him Mm -hmm. death and whatnot, that some of these problems and challenges would have still happened like how in, I, your, in your opinion i definitely think they they would have still happened because walt was not unless walt was already grooming somebody right like mm-hmm. he woolly ritherman was kind of taking over the directorial role but he's still thinking yeah. like film to film to film as a director yes. there's nobody that's thinking not about the long-term. animation studio overarching long term at this point so I feel gotcha. like it really would have helped to have somebody in there but we as we've learned it really has to be the right person you've got to know what yes. you're talking about in terms of story and like we've seen that you know lack of really backfire throughout different Disney right. ages even when Walt was involved honestly mm-hmm. like it's just like a really really hard thing to do so it's a volatile place too just so many Mm -hmm. big personalities and people who really felt like they knew what walt would have wanted or what was best and everything was still so new that you really don't have a playbook or you know a blueprint to measure every decision against right it's still all net new really yeah they're caught between like oh what would walt would have what walt would have done what he would have wanted to do and actually trying to carve out like a new disney footprint and what that looks like in yes. the current age for sure so and to make it ownable to those yeah, people that are then course. there right yeah. like i think i i feel like based on the things i know about this kind of tumultuous mm-hmm. period at disney there was also this growing exponentially growing desire mm-hmm. to make Disney something ownable to this next generation of animators, filmmakers, all of that, because it was such a time of transition and they're ready and excited to like shed some of the stuff that doesn't work. Sure. Whereas these nine old men are still here though. And are like, but this is how we do it. Like this. Absolutely. This is it. There definitely, there definitely is that, that conflict, but it's also just like, I don't know. I feel from what I've read and looked into, there was a mm-hmm. feeling at the studio at a certain point, particularly before this movie was being worked on. I feel like this was kind of the start of getting new people in there. But it's just like, are all these old men going to die? And then we're just done. Like animation yes. is just going to die with it? them. Like mm-hmm. there was definitely that culture. And I want to talk about somebody who really helped turn that around. And he gets a lot of heat when he's looked at in the Disney history books, I feel, but I, I think that he is somebody that's underrated from actually taking us from, you know, Walt not being here mm-hmm. anymore to the studio that we have today. And that's Ron Miller. Ronnie. He is the son-in-law of Disney himself, and he really kind of made the rise as an executive producer around the time that this movie was being made and eventually catapulted into running the Disney company for a very short period and was, you know, ousted and all that drama. We will get into that on another day. He was originally brought in by Walt and he worked at Disney in many capacities. He worked as a liaison between WED and Disneyland. He worked on live action films. After Walt and Roy both passed, he was more involved in the animation studio and Mm -hmm. he wasn't he wasn't filling the gap that Walt had in terms of creative leadership that wasn't really his thing as okay. much but he did have very strong leadership skills and was someone who was extremely motivated to see Disney animation continue whether it's right. 
you know, see growth within that and continue the legacy because it was, you know, partially a part of his mm-hmm. family's legacy as well. Totally. He's kind of the one that's looking at things like all these guys are going to retire or die soon and we need to get some fresh blood in here. So he worked very closely with Eric Larson to be scouting and training new talent, bringing new people in there. We talked about this in our Robin Hood episode. This was extremely successful, brought in people like Glenn Keane, Tim Burton, many other names that we know very well in the animation field today. It was really hilarious watching it with Amy as the titles were going. Glenn's mm-hmm. name came up and she yeah. goes, I know who that is. Because, I mean, because of Scenario <laughs> D, you're welcome. Yeah, for sure. But also yeah. just because he is a name synonymous with a lot of us millennials. Mm-hmm. If you know yeah. any animator's name, it's probably Glenn. Glenn or yes. Andreas Deja. It's going to be probably one of those two. Exactly. And exactly. it is funny to see their names all of a sudden start popping up. In I know. In one of these Silver Age films where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> Yeah, the handoff is definitely mm-hmm. definitely starting it's to happen. It's handed. So it's really yeah. it's really good. Yeah, um, Miller was also very specific about the need to include women in training, and Hello. they're making a space for women across all departments in the studio. We've talked about this throughout this podcast, and just like the presence of women mm-hmm. throughout Disney animation, and this was kind of a doors open moment for women. Not just here, but in all industries, like the yep. 1970s was very much a women entering the workforce, uh, women taking up you know space in schools and stuff like that, like they never had before. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Ron Miller really made a point to make sure that that was the case at Disney Animation as well. Incredible. We love it. Yes, that's really great. So... Yeah, Ron was a big part of, I would say, not only producing this film, but I think in kind of guiding Disney animation at this time to get us into that next era where we're training up new people. These guys can go off and retire into the sunset. Like, I think this was Milk Call's last film. The other ones is like coming Mm -hmm. to an end. So really... Really, I I think he's underappreciated for the role that he played in kind of bridging the gap here and getting these new people in. And people like Glenn Keane that had a huge part in the Renaissance, even though maybe Ron Miller was not technically involved in that. I think a lot of the people that he brought in and talent that he fostered was a big part of it. So. Well, and that the way that Disney as a company and the public, you know, maybe turned on Dear Sweet Ron later on mm-hmm. with other decisions mm-hmm. he made. We touched on this when we talked about the two bobs, Tale of Two Bobs, that Coco mm-hmm. Chat we did. Kind yeah. of how how easy is it for things to kind of immediately turn one way or the yep. other? Like we, for sure. you know, we were chatting about Bob Shapek's initial kind of career with Disney mm-hmm. and how successful he was in that particular role. And it's like, it's so easy to discredit or disregard the good work that someone has done leading up to a bad decision because the bad decision Absolutely. feels more immediate or it feels like it's a bigger decision than all those good ones that have already made made before. So it's yeah. too bad. I mean, and we talked about that with Ken, Ken and Walt yes. with 101 Elevations. Yeah. Even, even with like Eisner, we saw it where he did so many great things for the company, like the Renaissance happened mm-hmm. under his watch. And then he basically had to be kicked out because things are going sour. And 
it's kind of happening with Mr. Iger right now. So it's just like, you know, nobody can just leave on a high note. Now, you know, you know who went the wrong way, though, like the opposite (laughs) way. I we never gave Jelly Ketchup, a.k.a. Jeffrey Katzenberg, any credit (laughs) whatsoever. We never did. Like he never did anything that to us, even though I know I know he did good. I'm aware. But to us, it was always like. No jelly ketchup. I know. But he, he like left and then everything kind of fell to pieces. So, you know, Uh, I don't know. Jelly ketchup another day, but yeah. So surprisingly, the behind the scenes actually started a lot earlier than I thought. This book, uh, the original book originally came out in 1959 by Marjorie Sharp. In 1962, she followed it up with a sequel called Miss Bianca. Have you read either of these, by the way? Or any I of the can confidently you? say, no, I have not. <laughs> no, no apology required. Excellent. <laughs> yes. No lying and uh, no reading of these probably not very good children's books. Yes, probably not very good. Walt liked them, though. He optioned the books in 1962, right after the second one had came out, and began working on an animated film adaptation. This is where things get weird, um, honestly. So Otto Englander, who we've talked about on this podcast before, he was assigned to write a treatment based on the original book. The story centered around a Norwegian poet unfairly imprisoned in a stronghold like a black castle. The It was then updated for him to be rescued from Cuba instead so it was like they were saving him from Cuba and bringing him to the U.S. Wait, and wait, wait, this wait. Is... The mice are saving an adult. Yes. I I mean, a poet. I don't know if it was an adult or okay. a child, but it was a poet. Okay. And Walt really felt like we were getting a little too political I here. Mean, it was like yeah. dark. It was just like not, it was it's not working. It's a little working. on the nose to save someone from Cuba at this time. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Like, so it's just like not a conversation they wanted to be having in, in yeah. their films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was shelved entirely. It was picked up again in the 1960s, in the late 1960s, sorry, by Englander again. And in this adaptation, he was going back to the Middle Ages and rescuing Richard the Lionheart. No, that's crazy. So. I'm sorry. This is wild. Marjorie, you got to give this another go, girl. This is not it. I, I mean, don't know that this was anything to do with Marjorie. I'm like, still blaming Marjorie. Was, I'm blaming like, Marjorie. And I'm also that's blaming why I'm Otto. like not sure exactly. Maybe I should have done a little more research on what's in the original book. But it's like the places that we've gone with this, at least on the Disney side, are a bit wild. Yeah. I will I, go on. I don't know. This was, so again, like this didn't work. They shelved no. this. It was revived again in the 1970s. This time was adapting the more recent book from the series, Miss Bianca in the Arctic. I'm sorry. Miss Bianca in the Antarctic. I'm sorry. Now she's and, going to the Antarctic? Yes. Now we're in the Antarctic. And this involved a king penguin deceiving a captured polar bear into performing in shows. Okay. The bear puts a message in the bottle that reaches the mice. So mice are going to save a polar bear from a penguin. Like, 
in a what universe I, does this make any sense? Again, we can blame Marjorie for that. If she wrote this, <laughs> if she wrote that one as a sequel, I don't know. What I don't Marjorie's know how doing. like close it is to it, but there's I a lot of problems. Your obviously. next note here in our document is many problems, including, and I'm like, girl, this could be. I, I don't even know. Where it's, to start. it's yeah. It, there's a lot. I can't even list them it's all. Crazy. But I mean. The Arctic setting doesn't work great for animation. It's a very stark, bleak, boring background. So it's just like that was something that was pointed out by the animators and story artists. Like this is not it's not gonna look good. It's not like gonna it's just gonna to look at. No, 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 exactly. King Penguin was not evil or strong enough to overtake a bear. So that's just whole thing, just the mechanics of that didn't make any sense. No. They tried to keep this kind of alive by changing the location to an American zoo and the bear needing to be rescued from the zoo, but that just also wasn't working. They got really far ahead on this, so far that Louis Prima was attached to the project and actually recorded a lot of dialogue oh, no. and songs. Uh, this uh, this is a hot mess express, and I yeah. am not having it. This is, no. no. Hot mess express is right. They kind of had to just, like, it was just getting extremely messy, and they had spent a lot of time and money on it at this point. Wooly Ryderman just stepped in and basically said, it's too complicated. I want a simple story. A little girl gets kidnapped and the mice try to get her back, period. Okay, and that's, so that's like a direct quote. That makes me think of Cogsworth when he's like, all right, fine, glass of water, crust of bread. That's yeah. like, it's like, girl kidnapped, she's safe. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's just this, like. This sounds like sometimes when we're pitching ideas to a client at my work, mm-hmm. And they say, like, we like it, but can we do it more like X, Y, or Z? Which is really mm-hmm. just complicating. It's like, if this doesn't work, just walk away from it. Just yeah. You don't need to keep trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole. Sometimes you just have to accept that this isn't the solve, you know? Come 100%. at it from a different angle. And the angle is not King Penguin. Not it's King not Penguin. It. It's, it's not, not, it's not it. the angle. It's not no. the angle. Ryderman, he was getting really into the books, so he was reading more books, um, and especially while they were doing some, like, promotional stuff on other movies, he's Mm -hmm. like, okay, the villainess in this Miss Bianca book is amazing. So this ended up sparking the location to the bayou because he really wanted to commit to this villain. So this villain change really changed the course of the location and a lot of different things with the story. They've now moved it over to the bayou. And in this moment, Ken Anderson, dear sweet Ken, pitches Mm -hmm. the idea to have the villainess actually be Cruella DeVille, which I think is like wild. Like No good. (laughs) It's no good. I don't want it. No. It's, no, ma'am. Like, I kind of get it. I was actually thinking while watching it, I did the reverse this week where I watched the movie and then did research after. Normally I do the other mm. way around. I was thinking, because we had just talked about 101 Dalmatians, how Cruella DeVille-esque this villain was. Like, a oh. lot of, like, her movement and, like, yes. her character and everything like that. The car's the same. The car, The driving's yes, the, the same. The car, yes, like, exactly. I said to Amy, how Xerox is this? And she's like, what? And I was like, they're the same. <laughs> They are the same. And so, I mean, I kind of am like, well, if you're going to just copy her, let's just make it the same person. But that would have definitely been a a stretch for sure. It wouldn't have made sense. Like like the Krilla's motivation in 101 Dalmatians was established as being, I want this beautiful fur coat and Mm -hmm. I want it made of these puppies. What is she going to do with a child? No. Why is she all of a sudden after... 
diamonds when that doesn't allow her to be more beautiful. Like Maybe the diamonds. Maybe there was puppies in the bayou uh, and they had, <laughs> would have changed that. But yeah, no, it just, and it, and instead of being like this really, it's like Bianca and Bernard's story and it's about it would have been Cruella's. and it would have been Cruella's. We would have just been like Cruella mm-hmm. tales too. And yeah, yeah. just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. A lot of the Disney staff were against the return of the character and Milk Call specifically was like, I absolutely refuse to step on like Mark Davis's toes in that way. Like he did a brilliant job of creating that character and I'm going to do something new. Like I'm not just going to use that. So yeah, just cut and paste it. And I heard too that heard. No, I read. No one, no one said this (laughs) into my ears. I read this. this. You know what? Around the water cooler, yeah. you know, at Seneca Polytechnic, yeah. <laughs> people were talking about it. No, um, I read that this was also a decision fueled by the fact that Disney at this point wasn't doing sequels. They did not want mm, it to be yeah. a continuous story. Yeah, so the fact that a huge plot point and character from a previous film was now going to reoccur the studio was like, no, yeah. that's that now makes it kind of a sequel. We have to live up to the success of the first one. It could jeopardize. And I feel the like they impact, they were going you know. in a different direction, fully art direction wise too. Like yeah. that would have like completely sidetracked all of that. So yeah, it's just yeah. kind of crazy. What's even crazier is that Milt Call, so he was the artist that was supervising mm-hmm. over Medusa, based the character off of his wife. What? Yes and no. His ex-wife. Well, his ex, but at the time it was his wife. It's his ex-wife. Were they now. married at the time? They were married. I at mean, the clearly time. they were in the process yeah. of not being married because <laughs> if if that was inspired by his wife, that if she Medusa yes. was yes. inspired by his wife, like if that's like what he. I know that's why I was like, well, no wonder they got divorced. Like she had some sex appeal, though. We were saying like her backless dress, mm. she's like dancing yes, all over the place. The halter, we're like for sure. Oh my goodness, Madame Medusa, I never. But like all jokes on like Melt and Medusa aside, he took, this was his last character. He took it extremely seriously and basically animated the entire thing himself instead of having, Mm -hmm. I mean, he did have some help and support staff, but he really, really wanted her to be perfect. I do wish, I like her as a villain. I do wish she wasn't, so Cruella y though. Like I feel like she doesn't mm. really stand on her own as one of like the great villains because she's kind of like that subcategory of Miss Deville, personally. I don't Thoughts? agree. Don't agree. I I think that Medusa is a better in film villain than Cruella is. I we Whoa. already discussed at no, we discussed at <laughs> length. I don't think Cruella is good in 101 mm-hmm. Dalmatians. She doesn't do anything. Like she mm-hmm. actually isn't that instrumental to what is happening Mm -hmm. because she doesn't personally kidnap the puppies. What I love about Medusa is that she's like, Snoops, you're not getting it done. I'm putting the child in the place that could drown her and I am going to take care of it. She's truly evil. She's just like, watch me manipulate this orphan child to get her to do what I want. I loved it. I think she's amazing. I also really enjoy in general, the characters in Mm -hmm. this movie all feel fleshed out to me. They all actually serve a purpose, which again, helps highlight what Medusa is doing as a character in the film. For me. Yeah. I know that that's not a popular opinion. And I also completely understand why 
compared to Cruella when they are quite similar, most people would pick Cruella. But yeah. I enjoy watching Medusa way more than I enjoy watching Cruella. Oh, I just no. think she has more agency. She's given more opportunity to speak. Cruella mm-hmm. has like three lines. She right. doesn't even really talk that much. Right. She has presence, but that's it. Medusa I like has the presence. alligators. She's fine. I, I don't, yeah, I don't care for Medusa. I knew you but would. I do agree with you that the characters in this film overall are really well fleshed out. We talked about Bianca and Bernard in the beginning that they each like how well they balance yeah. and, and coordinate each other. I, I think, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think the whole cast is quite balanced. I'm pretty sure there were some super famous people. Bob Newhart, I know, was Bernard. But honestly, that name only means something because it's a famous name. I have no idea what he did. I mean, there's definitely some people from Robin Hood in there. Um, oh, yes. But yes, did yes, you yes. know that there was originally, what animal was it? There was supposed to be like a frog that was like supposed to be like the ringleader of like the like Bayou troops. And oh. it was Phil Harris. That was the voice. We don't need him. And then they get, cut it. And I'm like, yeah, they probably were listening to it and be like, oh, Baloo again, like get him out. Like I'm sure they were just like, like the enough. fact that Louis Prima played a bear also is like, no, it's jungle book bears. Like get yeah. out of here. Like we just, we don't, <laughs> I, I just can't with Phil Harris. I, I just, know. I don't, I, I don't think he's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's not his fault. Mm-hmm. They just get him out. We need to get some fresh people in here. What do you feel about the general art direction of this movie? Like the colors, the animation, like what is your, what is your thoughts? Uh, it looks cheap and it looks bad. It's like, so, so the first opening. Yeah. The credits. It's all these still images. They're beautiful. I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. The art in these still frames at the beginning with the Ken Burns effect. They look Yeah, nice. when you like sent me the photo of you on your deck with that whole setup, like it looked so Gorgeous. good. At first I was like, it looks what so are you great. watching? It's beautiful. I know. Like, oh, no. I know. <laughs> and yet I turned to Amy and I said, this is how you can tell it's a Xerox era. Look at this. They're not even moving. No. Not even moving. Then I go and find out that this cheapo looking Ken Burns effect mm-hmm watercolors is expensive to do. Yeah. This was the first time Disney had done it. This was like, look at us guys. Yeah. Big ideas happen here. And I'm sitting here going, I assumed this was all cheaply done, yeah. that we were going bankrupt, which obviously probably was still happening. But like, I expected this movie cost $20 and change. Like it honestly, the line work is bad. The color palette is crazy. I do love how vibrant Medusa is because mm-hmm. she needs to be, she's supposed to grab all the attention, suck the life out yeah. of every room that she's in, which I think they do really well with the colors Milk Call chose for her hair and her mm-hmm. dress and everything. Yeah. I think that contrast is really effective. But overall, this movie just kind of looks like trash. It does. It does. And they even had a Xerox update for this movie, which oh, I feel like goodness. was like good and bad in some ways. So they... No. The progress that they made was, if you look at something like 101 Dalmatians, Robin Hood, mm-hmm. all of the lines around the characters are thick and black. And that was mm-hmm. just like a product of Xerox and like what they were able to do with that. They were actually yep. able for this movie to make it a thinner line and have some of the colors different. So they were able to do a gray line. And for Bianca, I think they Ooh. had a bit of purple in there too. <laughs> Look out world, gray line. <laughs> this actually led to all of the lines. It's like overall, it's much softer than something like Hunter One Dalmatians. Yes. And they're kind of using that to try to return to some of the 
original kind of Disney look and feel. However, when you have a machine doing it versus a person, it's just like the lines are just not as good. It's not as crisp. Like you can really see it in some of these scenes where it's like, yes. like when they're going down that like water, like t- yes. wind tunnel, whatever, like all, like the lines are just like basically non-existent and everything kind blurs. of like morphing together. And it's just like looks like a mush of just like it looks wimpy yeah, like there's so wimpy. say what you will about xerox mm-hmm. what i like about it is mm-hmm. that every character has its own space every yeah. element is taking up its own space on the screen which for me works because i also feel the the transition of this film being again less of a comedy which they were doing in the 60s and 70s and more of this tug at your heartstrings to me it just got kind of mushy and wimpy to me. You put you put these softer lines together and this story the way that it is, and it just kind of feels like or also in this know. training it's, period with a lot of new animators too, right? That it's like they're the yes. ones that are doing a lot of this uh, cleanup and in between animation, and that's what really like is going to show through. It's like if there's inconsistencies within a character gonna, animation yeah. through a movement, mm-hmm. like you're really going to see that like look bad through this Xerox process because there's nobody there inking it to like fix the mistakes that they would have done in the past. hundred percent. Yeah. Which is a huge disappointment. Yeah. And the music is disappointing in this movie too. Agreed. Like it, it, oh my goodness. The, so that opening song. (laughs) Oh, I hate it. That's why I'm just like, what is this movie? And then I get into it and it's fine, (laughs) but I'm just like, Oh, like that song is called the journey slash mm-hmm. who will rescue me. And apparently it's sung by the bottle. Like it's written from the perspective of the bottle. So it's not actually penny. Like who will rescue me? It's the bottle. Okay. And there's like, honestly, I couldn't care enough to like get a quote of the lyrics. And I know I could just Google it right now, yeah. but honestly, no one needs yeah. that. Go look it up for yourself. It does make sense when you look at the lyrics that, okay, the bottle is this way, but it really just sets a very, sappy tone Mm -hmm. which I feel is too bad because there is a lot of humor still in this film there is still a lot of playfulness even though it's a serious story right and as soon as you go to like the like the scene with the mice and they're like little um whatever that's called like meeting or whatever like things really turn and you're you get engaged but everything before that that opening song and like the cat and penny it's like like, this is so depressing. What is this? But the Rescue Aid Society song is before the Cat and Penny. They literally, they, th- yes, they think, you think you're turning a corner because, okay, so that song actually, I do, I will give oh, props yes. to, yes, you're right, to how that song was written. Yeah. The guy who did the score, his name was Artie Butler. And honestly, that's all you need to know about him. I don't really think anything else is relevant or necessary here. They're this conversation. Yeah. He used a toy piano as part of the instrumentation because mice would have access to a toy to play on. So he was trying Cute. to like play off of, yeah. you know, the fact that Bernard used a comb that was missing teeth as a ladder and that type of thing. So I think that's a nice touch. That's yeah. a nice attention to detail that we expect from Disney and it's nice and cheerful and everyone's doing the whole like yeah Yeah. I did really like that part I thought it was good it's cute it's it's really really cute but then you get the (laughs) you get the tomorrow is another day when they're flying yes with Orville. Oh, and then so. that really sad someone's waiting for you I don't even remember the melody because honestly it's too triggering when Penny's crying on the boat 
at no. night after yeah. being like, I'm no. going to be alone forever. Life is hopeless. Why am I bothering to live anymore? And that song, Someone's Waiting for You, actually was nominated for an Oscar. So no even though we think it's not really worth anything, it was nominated in 1978 for Best Music Original Song. Okay. Uh, do I know if they won it? No. Because again, I Probably don't not. care Probably enough not. for that. Yeah. Um, if it said however, somewhere that it was nominated, then that usually means it didn't win. They would say one yeah it was yeah. It, it just it was just nominated yeah. thank you paul estelle coming yeah. in clutch in this uh, particular instant once again giving me a lot of information actually Plus. as a, i'm jumping way ahead to even when we talk about sources i did not use paul this Whoa. episode no paul i know i have him open as like a <laughs> safe you know kind of like a safety net but yeah. i didn't actually need paul okay. i got everything i needed from other places okay. but no it was the last disney film to receive an oscar nomination until the little mermaid 12 years later so wow you know, people yeah. people seem to think that this movie was worth it. Uh, other fun fact, Curbs is fun fact, and I'm going to sing it because honestly, we don't need more terrible singing in this particular episode. I like your the- singing. Thank you. Oh my goodness. So just for you. Okay. It's a Curbs is fun fact. Thank so- you. <laughs> Put that on a loop. Make that a ringtone. <laughs> the guy who wrote the lyrics... For the song that was nominated, the sappy crying on the boat, mm-hmm. I'm going to be alone forever song. His name was Sammy Fain. And he mm-hmm. actually did the music in The Hangover, The oh. Notebook, and Forrest Gump. So, like, okay. he's done some stuff. Like, he's Like a real done... person. Yeah. And it, you know what? Honestly, it kind of just shocked me from a culture perspective of, like, that's right. This movie isn't that old compared to a lot of the other Disney movies that we've been talking about yeah. in this particular season. Yeah, right? we're like, kind of jumping ahead All of a sudden, here. we're in the 70s. Yeah. If he was 30... In the 70s, like, yeah, he'd be old now, but, like, he would have been towards the end of his career when those films I mentioned were coming out. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just crazy to think, because those feel like current films to me, even though none of them are. When you think about, like, when the movie came out, it was a million years ago. Yeah. (laughs) That problematic movie. And, you know... But we're not we're not talking about those. We're not talking about Noah and Allie and the and the if I'm a bird, you're a bird situation. Yeah. Whatever. We're talking about be a different uh, episode. two little mice yeah. saving a human trafficked little girl. So bless that. This movie took almost four years to make. I think that's wild considering mm-hmm. how poor some of the stuff was, even yeah. though it was super enjoyable. It was a team of 250 people, and that included 40 animators, who produced approximately 330,000 drawings. Uh, Just to give some numbers, you know, to give you a scope of the scale. There were 1,039 separate scenes with 750 backgrounds and a budget of $7.5 million. And it was Disney's first big budget film since Sleeping Beauty. So this was kind of a return to form in the sense that Disney's swinging big here. Like, we are... Trying to make back money and put out something that feels on par. This one, maybe you're getting to this, but this one was successful, though, correct? Oh, yeah. This one made its money back, yeah. Oh, yes. It was very successful. This movie marked the end of the Silver Age, which had started with Cinderella. Some people Mm -hmm. call it the second Golden Age, but that's stupid. Call it silver. This... (laughs) This marked the end of that Silver Age, which had started in 1950, and it came out during a decade that was super rife with change and unrest in Mm -hmm. the United States. There was a lot of political stuff happening in the 70s. We got Mm. the Vietnam War. We have Watergate. Like, a lot of unrest around the world as well. This is around the time that, you know, things like the Berlin Wall are really becoming, like, 
international focuses. We have a lot of people pushing for change in a lot of different countries. So in a climate like that, Disney knows that they are returned to something familiar. They can Mm -hmm. win people back by delivering a high-quality product, a high-quality item that people can see as kind of like a trusted return to form. And there was also a lot of talk in the 70s of people kind of reminiscing on how good it was in the 50s, like how good life was before all this change started happening. So... We already kind of mentioned that Disney started laying the foundation for that by moving away from the slapstick stuff that you hate and trying to come back to more gut punchy, heart wrenching, heart like just did they go too far? Yes, but arguably. But as I said, I think that this film actually balances those two sides really nicely because. Penny's got spunk. She's not a pushover. If she had been a kid who just cried the whole time. No. And do you notice she cries in private? She does not cry in front of the adults. She Mm -hmm. does not cry even in front of like she was crying and Rufus found her, the the cat with the scarf and the glasses and whatever. Mm -hmm. It looks like my uncle Frank. She was crying in front of him, but not because she knew he was in the room. Like she thought she was alone. I just, yeah, I think it's just if she had had maybe better circumstances, like I was saying, and could, kidnapped like it's just like it's so sad the fact that she just wants somebody to love yeah. her and then gets yeah. found by medusa and uh, well, she was kidnapped kidnapped yeah she wasn't found she was lured into a car and taken away i'm pretty sure <laughs> like like Brutal. full out kidnapping child labor human trafficking like oh which God. again these are not plot points that would happen now no. like that like they would have they would soften it yeah. so much because yeah. It is super intense, but as you already kind of alluded to, this movie was the first animated success since The Jungle Book and was the last one until The Great Mouse Detective in 1988. So there's, it's kind of marking, it's right in between. Like it's, Jungle Book came out in 66, this came out in 77, Great Mouse Detective, 88. Oh, 66, 77, 88. That's wild. That's crazy. Mm. That's crazy. Anyway. So despite the really dark subject matter, this movie did really well, but there are things we have to talk about. I have to come in and suck the fun right out of everything. You've already, fun you know, sucker. agreed. I am, a, I am a fun sucker. But because someone has to, I yeah. think that understanding some of these things is important mm-hmm, for, for children sure. watching movies like this, but also just as a, again, as to steal Daniel's phrases you know, as a cultural artifact Mm -hmm. or a cultural document, these things are fascinating. Now, the one I'm going to start with is kind of funny. I'm sure you've heard about it. The nudity scandal. Have you heard about this? Uh, I've heard about this for years. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah. So tell me about it. Yeah. So when I was in high school, this this is about my nudity scandal. No, I'm just kidding. When I was in high school, I did a lot of projects on the Disney company because that's what I was obsessed with. That's what I was interested in. And I was able to shoehorn it into a lot of classes. And mm-hmm. the one class I wrote about it for was American history. Mm-hmm. And my teacher challenged me to write about Disney and some of the negative stuff that has mm-hmm. happened with the company, because he's like, you can't just keep writing about how great it is. Like you need to know that there's two sides to every company. Like it's right. a company, Kirsten, like it's not perfect. You mm-hmm. have to like, Oh, Curbs knows now. We should go back to that teacher and uh, send her some of our episodes. No, he he's he's retired. And he and I ended up not having a good teacher-student relationship because I didn't try very hard in his grade 12 law class. And he took that personally. So he never spoke to me again. Okay, never mind. What are you going to do? Yeah. Wild time at uh, WCI. (laughs) Wild times. 
But I remember reading about, you know, classic issues where it's like, you know, these are adult themes that are too intense for children or, you know, I can't even think of another example. But honestly, the ones that got me the most interested were these like sex scandals. And when I say sex scandals, I don't mean that like, you know, people are, I mean, it definitely happens. Not like a John Lasseter style sex scandal. I'm talking about animators slipping like penises into things and whatnot. Like, like. Um, Tyler Durden style, right? And this film is one of the films where that happened. So I remember immediately, immediately having to go get the VHS and like watch to see if I could see this. But when Orville is flying Mm -hmm. with Bianca and Bernard and they're like descending really quickly and Bernard is kind of freaking out having a moment, there is a split second where you can see a topless woman in the window. It's just right there. I it's never just saw like a it, weird, but I heard never about saw it. it. No. It's like clearly from like an old porno. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that kind of like really warm 70s show style lighting, but just like here's a naked woman. And this happened, right? Obviously goes mm-hmm. out the door. Three days after Rescuers comes out on home video, Disney's like, yeah, we're calling 3.4 million copies. We're going to take those all back, please. And I just... Give them back to us. There was an objectionable image in the background of one of our scenes, and we would like to correct that. Thank you so much. So, you know, it's two frames out of 110,000 total frames. Did anyone get fired for this? Like who? No. No. So what I could see or learn about this is that there was a spokeswoman who came out and said, you know, there were images that were placed in the film during production, but it was never confirmed what stage of production it happened in or who did it. It was never. So if someone was fired, it was private. Yeah, no because it's it. just like you would have to, it just goes through so many people, right? Like I think a number of people would have seen it and said, mm-hmm. ooh, that's funny and left it. Unless it's like getting sliced in at the very end, but that still seems unlikely. Well, I don't it's know. the same way that through my high school research into some of the issues around like sexual representation in Disney films and like, you know, sexual objectification Mm -hmm. of Disney characters and stuff like animators were, I shouldn't say constantly, but there were animators that would draw characters in compromising positions. Right. All those types of things were happening and they were happening more and more frequently, I believe in the seventies and eighties because Walt's not around. Like there isn't like, it's becoming more of head for this. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and it probably would have been Ken's, you know, he would have been like, Ken Ken Anderson, get in here. (laughs) It's all your fault, Ken. Yeah, good Ken you. would have been the scapegoat. Yeah. Um, but I think that there, it, like Disney at this point was becoming just a place that people worked. It was yeah. not necessarily this dream location. It was right. one of many because more and more companies are now starting no, to do No, you're right, animation. yeah. So Disney has the spokeswoman make this announcement and then they also make a formal announcement where they're like, we're pro- like, you know, we promise to, that families can trust us and rely on us to provide like good family entertainment. So, Some people speculate that Disney did this on purpose to help boost sales because sales Mm -hmm. of the VHS were slumping a little bit around this time. It wasn't selling that well, considering how well it did in theaters. So, but this is purely speculation. There's nothing to confirm that that's the case. Would have been so expensive to recall all that though. But unless they're looking at it as like, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what we could be making. And it got people talking about the movie. It got people wanting to buy it because they're hoping they got a copy that had that in it. Right. So... That was that was just wild. That was just a wild little scandal. It has nothing to do with the content of the film unless you count those two frames, which is like, and the two frames are not even together. It's not like two frames one after another. It's like frame here and then they reuse a shot and it, then it's there again. So it's like 
very, yeah. very split. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fine. That's kind of like, let's just warm ourselves up with something that's kind of ridiculous. But whatever. What I was shocked, shocked to see in this movie, and there is not a lot of like conversation around this, which I was also surprised by, is the blatant alcoholism that mm. the muskrat named Luke is exhibiting. Mm. They are using alcohol as a solve for like the things that ail you. Like v- yeah. very much like, oh, Bernard's feeling ill. Give him a drink. Like yeah. Luke needs it to function. I thought that that was so interesting. And again, what I find more interesting is that no one's really talking about this. I found one mm. paper that was talking about Not how, even Paul. you know, to- no, I'm Paul. I, I mean, he he mentioned it in passing, where it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, there's an alcoholic muskrat. Yeah. But I'm like, this is wild. Like, it's it's so blatant. Like, mm-hmm. it's so, like, what? So this one paper that I found was talking about, the, you know, the representation of tobacco and alcohol, mm-hmm. because a lot of older Disney films have characters smoking cigars, and even just nowadays, too. You know, cigars are used as a symbol of, like, evil people or of right. elegance, of class, yeah. like Cruella de Vil, one of the ways they tried to make her, I guess, like more appealing is by having that thin French cigarette, right? Like she has the holder with the cigarette in it. And that's Isn't like, that she's like Oliver and company, the villain too, has like, he has a cigar. cigar. Yeah. So yeah. it's exactly, yeah. that's a great, great call out, Lish. Thank Fantastic you. call out. Yeah. And, and yeah, so like often these two devices, alcohol and tobacco are used to symbolize something about a character or to stereotype mm. them. So with Luke, it's like, oh, he's a hick in the mm. bayou. Right. They all drink. Like yeah. they're all lushes, Right. The main conversation around this, which again, I kind of had in the back of my head and then had confirmed by this one article, was just this idea that children are so impressionable, right? If you're putting messaging around tobacco and alcohol in front of children without clarifying that these can be harmful substances, that these can be addictive substances, you know, not talking about the negative effects of these on screen, there's like no messaging around that whatsoever, which I just find interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear whether children would pick up on this as being funny or a problem or something they want to try. But I just, I thought it was crazy because it has, I've never seen anything like that in my life. But the last, the last kind of issue or interesting, I don't know, controversy conversation in this film is the depiction of the United Nations. It is very obvious that the rescue aid society is supposed to be the United Nations. And I did model UN in high school one time. I hated everything about it. One of my best friends got to give a speech at the United Nations in Geneva this past year because she's a literal doctor and she's crazy. But like, I don't know very much about the United Nations, except that it's where a lot of people come together. And I assume that it does a lot of good. But what I have learned in preparing for this particular episode, is that in the 70s, the United Nations actually was not viewed favorably, especially by people in the United States, because they had failed in the Six-Day War in 1967. They were pushed out of a resolution in 1973 around the Yom Kippur War, and they revoked a lot of economic orders that had been voted upon by the larger General Assembly. Like, they were not doing their job. So this has led a lot of cultural critics to look at the rescuers and go, maybe the Rescue Aid Society was meant to be an idealized version of the United Nations. Right. So, for example, the German delegate, there's only one of them. At the time that this movie came out, the Berlin Wall was still up. There technically should have been two German delegates. But in a dream world, Germany is reunited. It's right. not okay. two places. Yeah. And there would only be one. Same with um, Latvia was not a free nation yet, but the Latvian delegate greets Bernard in Russian as if 
he has his own country. He oh, gets his cute. own little table okay. placard. Yeah. Yep. And then also the United Nations didn't really clarify that they were open to responding to um, environmental issues or, you know, anything to do with the planet when the film came out. They were really okay. just people centric, whereas the messaging around the Rescue Aid Society is kind of like, we'll respond to all species, human or otherwise, if they're in distress. So I find that Got so it. fascinating mm-hmm. that whoever was in charge of some of those story changes and some of those story beats really lend into this idea that the Rescue Aid Society could be a vision of perfect aid. And I think that is such a uniquely political conversation, which Walt was trying to avoid yeah, that's with some of the stuff, right? But yeah. I mean, I I like how they approached it. I like knowing these things as mm-hmm. well about some of those differences between what was actually happening. I mean, happening. that's clearly intentional, right? Like yes. the amount oh. of those like little things that you just mentioned, like the, the fact that they picked those countries to, yeah. Yeah. Very intentional. And, very cool. and the fact that the mice are traveling with UN diplomats to New York mm-hmm. City. Like yeah. that's also where the United States has their kind of United Nations headquarters mm-hmm. and the way that their rescue aid society generals assembly is set up as the exact same. It's one seat per member state and there's a chair mouse and like all that. So I found this fascinating. Never mm-hmm. in my life would I think that politics could be at all interesting. There we go. But enough better people loved mice. it. Oh, better with mice. And I mean, it was popular enough with people that they re-released this movie multiple times into theaters. It came out again in 1989 before the release of Rescuers Down Under, which makes sense. When it originally came out in 1977, it was the third double release year for Disney after 1940, which had Pinocchio and Fantasia, and 1942, which had Bambi and Salido's Amigos. Mm -hmm. So they're really doubling down on the fact that this movie was really, you know, getting everybody excited. And they also re-released this film with a Mickey... Christmas Carol featurette attached to it, which was, which was the first time Mickey had been in theaters for 30 years. So they really like yeah. banked on this mm-hmm. movie doing stuff for them. They inspired a spinoff show, which eventually was morphed into Rescue Rangers when they realized that like Bernard and Bianca didn't really quite have the legs for it, but there was an appetite for something like this. And I think that's clearly why Rescue Rangers feels very much like a Rescue Aid Society, like rodent yeah. jumping off point. And something that really influenced me or interested me was that they made a lot of limited edition collectibles for this movie. If I had been aware of that, I could have (laughs) shelled out $400 in 2008 for a sculpture made of pewter uh, of Orville, Bernard, and Bianca taking off. And I could have owned that. I could have added it to my shelves of collectibles. Or in 2003, I could have... Did you have $400 in 2008? Absolutely not. I was 17 years old. I was working at Staples with you. I did not have that much money. In 2003, five years before, the pewter one, which I definitely couldn't afford, they had a figure priced at $300 of Medusa with Teddy, and they made 1,977 of those to commemorate the year the film came out, which was 1977, which I also think is really cute. And then when the film first came out, they had three different figures that you could buy, and they officially retired those in 2005. So there has really been a long history of this movie making them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I will leave you with one more Curves is Fun Fact about how well this movie did in Europe. So in the States, it earned $48 million in its first run at the box office, but it broke the record for the largest financial amount for an animated film on an opening weekend until American Tale came out in 1986, which was Don Bluth. He abandoned Disney. He actually worked on The Rescuers and then went and started his own company. That's right, yes. 
and beat them with a rodent. Uh, so he really likes the mice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. But in France and Germany, we won people back with the rescuers. It outgrossed Star Wars, which is crazy in both of those countries. And it was the last animated film to be number one at the box office until Lion King in France. It made $7.2 million and in Germany, wow. 9.7. So people are Wild. nuts about these mice. I know. It's a lot of money for two little mice. It's a lot of responsibility, but I'm so glad that they took it on because it truly does stand up. You know, yeah. we started this conversation with me saying this held up for me. And even after all the things that maybe aren't so savory or feel a little gross or weird, I still like it. Like I would yeah, still watch this I one. Agree. Again. I agree. I agree. That's, it's not perfect, but it's definitely, it's got bits and pieces going on. You know what? You might even say that it rescues and aids those who need it. Terrible. And this right there, folks. <laughs> All right, Lish. It's that time where we need to make amends for the things we've done wrong, the people we've hurt, and the things that we might have said incorrectly. And this week, I really need to give it up to our girl Marjorie Sharp, because I really came for her about the whole polar bear, going back to medieval times and saving a lion, probably something about the king penguin. And the reality is, she didn't write that. You know, that was Disney's writers going crazy. Or if she did, you know, some of those were her, but, you know, Disney... It's not her fault that Disney no. story team was just all in a muck, yeah. right? They were really just trying to make stuff happen that didn't need to happen. And I really put most of the blame pretty quickly right on her. I was like, oh, Marjorie, don't do that. When really it's like Marjorie didn't do that. And no. so Marjorie, she's just writing nice books. She, well, were they nice books? I don't know. But maybe. Verdict's out on that one. Yeah. But... <laughs> But it wasn't Marjorie's fault, so Marjorie, no idea if you're dead or alive, but either way, I'm sorry. It wasn't you, girl. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. And I have to apologize for just... I just said way too many blunders about the overall plot and what was going on in this movie. I was just kind of a hot mess throughout. I promise I did watch it. I just apparently oh, you definitely watched forgot... It, yeah everything that happened so i do apologize for in one ear out the out other the other yeah it was in one eyeball out the other eyeball didn't absorb it apparently <laughs> very well you, so. you need to be more of a sponge i guess you yeah know? more spongy next time just a little bit we'll get it we'll get yeah. there and you know what this isn't high 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 on the list of films i know we meet in the middle on this one but like it's okay if you don't remember every detail about this one to be honest because you're going to have to forget everything you learned about this one to watch The Rescuers Down Under anyway. So really. Yeah, not looking it, forward to that. No idea they're not what connected. in that movie. So Yeah, like yeah. this plot's not really that connected to that one. So you're good. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I am shocked to announce that my guy, Paul Estelle, didn't use him for this one. Just didn't need it, to be honest. Oh, no. I found everything I needed elsewhere. So the first place that I went for, uh, this makes it sound like I just knew this off the top of my head, but the first article that was really helpful for me was one called Tobacco and Alcohol Use in G-Rated Children's Animated Films, once again coming in heavy with the yeah. titles. 
But this was written by a whole bunch of people. We have Adam O. Goldstein. We have Rachel A. Sobel. We have Glenn R. Newman. And uh, I think that's actually it. There's just a lot of letters after all their names, which made me think there was a fourth person. (laughs) But these are just important people with a lot of letters after their names. Mm -hmm. And then I also read another wordy uh, titled article called Reparation for Injuries Suffered in the Service of the Rescue Aid Society, colon, Imagining the UN through Disney's Rescuers by someone named Paul Philip Stewens for Opinion Juris. So a lot going on there. Truly a lot. Yes. Yes. Very well researched. Great job, Curbs. I read a Hollywood Reporter article about Ron Miller by Rhett Bartlett and also a random article I found on the internet by a blog, I Can Break Away, Behind the Scenes of the Rescuers. Oh, I can break away. That sounds yeah. like a Kelly Clarkson blog. You I know, know, like a live journal dedicated to Kelly's. Uh, I was hoping that singles. it was, uh, but no. Sadly, it's about the rescuers. So you know what? You know who probably wrote that? The bottle. The bottle who's singing oh, that rescue me song at yeah. the beginning of the rescuers. Yeah, that would be what a time. Sense. Yeah. So I read an article by the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're rewriting source. history. The bottle. Yeah. Wrote it. <laughs> they were there. They yeah. know what's talking. They know. What is it? What are the? It was rare. I was there. The bottle yes. remembers it all too well. There you go. <laughs> all too well. Let's bring Taylor Swift into this. I love version. it. Bottles version. <laughs> what a time to be alive. If you are looking for more disjointed shenanigans like these, make sure to subscribe to the Scenario D podcast wherever you love to listen. And better yet, why not rate us? Those mm-hmm. stars go a long way. They sure do, Curbs. And we are also very excited to be bringing you all the facts, feels, and chaos over on YouTube. You can now support us by liking, subscribing, ringing the notification bell, and doing everything else you'd normally do for a channel you love. So go watch our latest episode using the link in this episode's description. And as always, don't forget to catch us on Instagram at Scenario D Podcast, because why? You're going to love the magic we're making there. <laughs>